Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey everybody, welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies, episode 14. Welcome back. Got a pretty exciting show for you here today. We've got, I uh, wanted to talk about some expectations for the colony in uh, in year one. So whether you have package bees or nukes, we're going to cover them both today. Before that, I want to get to uh, just a couple of admin things and updates. And then we will discuss uh, some of the expectations because I know that everybody always says to me, they've done it for years. As long as I've been doing this, I'm sure you all are seeing it too. The first question you always get, do you get a lot of honey? Do you get a lot of honey? I hear that all the time. So we're going to answer that question. We'll talk about that and we'll, we'll dive into some other things too. So first off here, I am overdue on my own inspections here. I was planning to get caught up this weekend. Uh, we got rain, colder weather. It's been kind of uh, kind of funky here and it's really not ideal to open the hives and there's some things I specifically really want to look at right now but I'm just I'm not going to open up and have the bees get wet water and honeybees just do not mix very well so we're going to leave them alone for now I'll try and get back to them maybe tomorrow or Tuesday and I'll report back to you there's one specific thing that I that I want to see I'll go ahead and kind of talk about that right now I had a colony that had swarmed earlier in the season. And when they did, the queen that was left behind to take over operations, she uh, did not make it back from her mating flight. So with that, the colony was queenless. So I gave it an extra week, you know, just to make sure. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it took a little longer on her mating flight. Maybe she was just, you know, not as active in laying when she got back. So I thought, you know, I'll wait one more week and I'll just confirm and make sure that she's definitely, in fact, did not make it back. So a week later, I go in, same thing, right? No no evidence of her. I can't find her anywhere. So what I did this past, uh, on the previous inspection, I have another colony. Great, very productive, very healthy colony. Great queen. She's a daughter of my breeder queen. So I know that she's uh, got good genetics. I went to a frame of comb. There's one specific frame where they had drawn the comb. Instead of being flush to the foundation, they drew it kind of out from the foundation a little bit and then straight down. So there was a gap behind. You could almost fit your pinky behind it, right? Now, in general, it doesn't matter for them. They don't care. As long as they've got comb they can lay in, it's great. It's really more of an issue for us beekeepers trying to keep things orderly, trying to make sure that as we're removing frames, we're not destroying things. That is exactly what that lends itself to. When you start having pieces of comb that aren't drawn nice and evenly and they're hanging way out from the foundation, it becomes troublesome for you. One little trick I've done as kind of a workaround is if you've got 10 frames in the deep or in the the shallow, medium, whatever size high body you're using, if you've got 10 frames in there and for whatever reason they've drawn one section of comb, I've actually had them draw a section of comb all the way up to the foundation of the next frame but then not draw anything in that frame, or they draw some around that comb that's on the other frame, and it's just complete chaos. 
I'll pull a frame out completely and then slide everything down and make more room. So instead of being a 10 frame, it's a nine frame, but it allows them a little bit more space. It, it's an option. It's just one way of kind of getting around their not always perfect comb drawing. So in this one section of comb I found, it was about probably eight inches high by three inches wide. So for my, um, my metric system friends here, I think it's roughly like maybe about 20 centimeters high by about seven centimeters wide. And it was a section of, of nice, very new drawn comb. And it was completely full. It had probably 60 or 70 eggs on it, newly laid eggs. So I pulled it off. I broke it in half. And then I went to the queenless colony and I went to a section of frame and I put those two probably about, uh, I don't know, maybe four inches, 10 centimeters apart and kind of pressed them into a space of the comb and, and left the piece of comb kind of hanging down in hopes that the bees will, that the nurse bees and the workers that are in that area will see those eggs and say, okay, this is a great opportunity for us to now make a queen cell. I'm hoping more like two or three that we can use to replace the, um, the missing queen. So if I get, let's just say I get, I'm lucky enough to get three queen cells out of that. I'm going to leave one behind to take over things for that colony, but I'll take the other two and I'll put them into some, some late spring splits. Cause I've got a couple other colonies that are kind of pushing on their maximum size. Anyway, they probably could use either more space or, or need to be split up. So I'm trying to expand things right now. And I'm going to go ahead and just add however many queen cells that I get in surplus. I'm going to use those to make new uh, nukes. I guess it'd be a good time to go ahead and discuss some of the progress at the apiary this week. So I've, I was able to finally get some burning done of some, some of the brush that's in the way where all of my colonies are going to be hopefully moving over to. I made some progress in a couple other spaces down there, so that's really good. Now, one last thing I wanted to chat about before I jump into kind of the topic of the week here is we've covered a lot of material, a lot of content, and it's been sort of like a building block kind of approach where we started. We tried to build, you know, kind of a good foundational knowledge and working our way up. And now we're at a point where there's all this information in your heads, but it's putting it all together and, and figuring out the routines of my inspections every week. What do they look like? What am I looking for? What do I need to do? And, and things are evolving and changing, right? The things that were really important in your first inspection while they're still important now, now you've got a lot of other variables and obstacles and things that might be coming into play that you need to be looking for. So I want to do a quick refresher on what you should be checking for in all of your inspections. For starters, always want to be looking for the queen. So we're going to look for the queen. If we can't find her, we're looking for some eggs. Hopefully, if you, know, if you can't find eggs, maybe you find some young larvae. But at least you see some evidence that the queen is there or has been there very recently and that, that she's laying and things are, are pretty normal. On the more negative side of things, as the season progresses, you know, particularly more, you know, I, I don't think this is as big of an issue in a lot of the northern states or maybe in Canada or some other places where the climates might be cooler in the wintertime because I don't think that the larva will survive the winter, but the small hive beetle. You definitely have to watch out for them. Uh, they're, they're very disruptive. Early in the season, it's not as big of a deal, but as the season progresses, it gets worse. Uh, I put several hive beetle traps in my colonies in my last inspection and I'll have some on hand with me during the ones I do tomorrow so make sure you're, you're aggressive with those small hive beetles you're looking for queen cells even if you have you know where it looks like there's plenty of room plenty of room to expand still look for queen cells on every inspection 
because it's possible that maybe for some reason the colony is not recognizing space to the left, the right, or above it as expansion space. Just, again, you've got the frame out. You're looking at it anyway. Always look for those queen cells, and they have a tendency to always be down near like that bottom third of the frame. You know, if you pull a frame out and there's a bunch of bees right in an area that you need to look at, just bring the frame up near your mouth and just blow on them lightly, and, just be, and they'll, they'll move out of the way. I usually, since I don't have gloves on, uh, I've done that as, you know, I blow on them. Or you just take your hand and just press down on them a little bit, and they'll feel kind of the warmth of your hand, and they'll walk away. It's, it's really cool. The first time I heard that, I was like, you're going to do what? You know, but it works really well, and they, they'll move out of the way, and pretty cool. Look, you know, look for those queen cells, and also be mindful of uh, expanding to make room for additional honey supers, right? It just depends on where you are in your nectar flow, but if you're doing your inspection and every frame that you're pulling out is full of either honey, nectar, pollen, you know, brood, eggs, and they've got no expansion space, you've got to add some. So that's a decision you've got to make as to what's going to make the most sense. But worst case scenario, when in doubt, just drop a honey super on there and you let them do their thing. And another thing you can do too, if you want, if you have, let's say you had one honey super already on, you could put the uh, new one in between the existing one and the top of your brood chamber. I've done that before too. That way the, the bees can kind of come up right out of the brood chamber from the bottom up and they can jump right on that. Again, when you start disrupting things in their, the spaces, the way they've designed them, it kind of throws them off, right? They're, they have a plan. They want things in a certain place, you know, and then you go and, and break things up a little bit. It forces them to, to take action. But I wouldn't always recommend that approach as a you know rule of thumb, right? There's no real need to do that. I've just done that before when I'm having trouble getting them to draw up the comb and use the space. In general, just take your top cover off, take your inner cover off, Put a medium on top with, you know, the frames you've identified for your, your honey frames. Put your inner cover back on, outer cover back on, and you're done. Just make sure your, you know, your uh, frames are spaced out nicely before you put them back in. Another thing to watch for, and this has just been a nemesis of mine for years, is the wax moth. Wax moths are generally not a big problem for a good, healthy, strong colony. It's that colony that's it's more of a typical problem I've seen in my newer colonies, the weaker ones. And it definitely kind of kicks off more mid to the later season for me. That's when I tend to notice them the most. But what will happen, they're, they're particularly bad if you're adding space, like I just mentioned where you added in a honey super. If those are all drawn comb that you put in, well, that's great for the bees. If there's a good nectar flow, it's one less thing they've got to worry about. But the reality is the bees can draw comb really fast during a flow. But if it's later in the season and you put 10 frames of drawn comb and it's late and the bees aren't bringing as much nectar, they don't have a need for that space, if a wax moth can sneak up in there, they will go into that space and they will lay their eggs and then their larvae come out. And when they do, you end up with these frames that are just full of these big, nasty larval worms. And they are so destructive in a hive. It is just, it's the worst thing. It's heartbreaking to see that. You can, I mean, I've had a few really good colonies that for whatever reason, somehow they got in there and they just, it, it's just, it's sad. So when you're doing your inspections, look, for, look for that. And I'll take some pictures in the coming days here and get them uploaded to, you know, one of the multiple platforms that we have. I'll try to label them and say, Hey, this is from episode 14. when We discussed X, Y, and Z, but if nothing else, I'll put a, a caption in there or some details. So you'll know what you're looking at. So my recommendation on that one, when you're doing a new colony or if you're adding in a new super for honey, don't, fill the entire area with drawn comb. Just use a couple of frames and let them take care of the rest. All right, so we're going to take a real quick break, and we will be back here in just a minute. Okay, and we're back. 
So I'm going to dive in right now. We're going to do a couple of quick uh, discussions on some listener emails, uh, a couple of questions, a couple of things that came in, and then we'll, we'll get to work on the rest here. So one question that came in was about splitting and, um, you know, is there a good time, bad time? It's kind of a heavy question. There's a lot of information on that, and there's a lot of different ways this can go. And I'll try not to have it dominate the discussion, but like I've mentioned before, right, a lot of the, the challenges around splitting is if you take a really good, strong, healthy colony, divide them in half, and you can do what they call a walk-away split, right, where you literally divide the colony in half, and a couple weeks later, whichever colony didn't have a queen made their own, and you just got to make sure that you've got, you know, eggs and larvae in, in each of them. And you have a new colony. So one's obviously going to be behind the other because they didn't have a queen. But, but you can definitely do a split that way. Uh, it, there's a lot of reasons why that's not necessarily a great way to do things, but it is an option. Another way of doing a split would be with the queen cell. You find you know, a, a colony that has multiple queen cells. You want to split from there, take a few frames, make a nuke, put a queen cell in it. You can kind of go that way. You can pick up a mated queen from somebody else, grab a few frames uh, to make your own nuke, put the queen in. Um, that's kind of another approach that we'll talk about probably more in detail as we get closer to like next year or as you're you know, getting into your second year and what we're going to do to kind of help mitigate some risks around, you know, swarming risks next year and everything. But the other option is you can have, have a mail to your house. I would, I would exercise real caution with this one. I had a couple of queens mailed to me. It was like second day mail, U.S. Postal Service, which should be kind of a big red flag by itself, the fact that we use USPS. But I, uh, I think it was, in, it was one of those days around this time of year, mid-90s, and uh, I had tracking information that said I had all the alerts set up. Everything was supposed to be, you know, letting me know that I was going to, you know, when the delivery was going to happen. And I, I got no alerts, no delivery information. And I go out to get the mail at like 5 o'clock in the evening, and I go into my mailbox and there is a nice size package in there that says live bees, live bees, caution, like handwritten, like all over the place. And they ended up in the mailbox. So I had two dead queens and that was massively, massively problematic for me because I had a colony that was just huge. I wanted to split, to make two splits from it and have queens right away. And I had great plan for everything. I contacted the guy who sent him to me. He's like, I can get you some more. It'll be about two weeks. And it was like, ah. So, yeah, a lot of things that you can do uh, as far as splits go. But, again, keep in mind what, you know, what are your nighttime temperatures looking at because that's kind of an issue with making sure that there are enough nurse bees to keep the brood warm. Uh, Some of the smaller colonies would struggle with that. The other thing to uh, be mindful of is, you know, where you are in your nectar flow. You split a colony, whether it's just making a nuke or whether you're trying to literally divide them in half and, and make, a, you know, a couple of, you know, equally sized colonies. If there's not a nectar flow, it's going to be really difficult for them to rebuild and get their numbers strong and get them where they need to be to kind of go into the fall. So you just need to be cognizant of that, be thinking about how you're going to get them the protein and the carbs that they need to have all the fuel and energy to create new workers and for the queen and the colony to say, yeah, this is, it's time for us to keep laying eggs and, and making more bees. So I know that's not necessarily answering the question because it really is going to depend a lot on where you are, time of year, all those kind of things. But if you are in that situation, you're thinking about it and you're like, I'm just not sure if I should or not, 
shoot me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com, and just say, hey, here's where I am. This is what I see. This is the time of year. I can dig around, and I can figure out you know, what the flow should probably be in your area and maybe help you answer that question. Next question I got was, um, was from Cheyenne, and she had a situation where she had packaged bees this year, and she installed the package. She had a queen cage, got everything up and running. Everything was looking good. Queen was looking healthy. Went back to do an inspection and open everything up, and she sees two queens inside the colony kind of fighting it out and uh, kind of a little bit of a kind of a battle royal going on between these two queens. And she's like, hey, what's going on? How did this happen? What's, you know, so there are a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot. There's a couple of possibilities here of what could happen, but I'm going to just kind of zero in here, here on what I think is probably the most likely culprit. When package bees are made, typically they'll take, if you think in your mind of what a deep hive body looks like, they'll take something that is either the size of one or even two deeps, put them on top of each other. Then they take a, a queen excluder attached to the bottom of another deep or another larger box. And then they'll take frames from, uh, you know, frames that are just loaded with brood. So they're getting good nurse bees and they'll pull them up to these boxes and they shake them down in there and they shake all the nurse bees off and they put the frames back into a box and then they grab the next one. And they shake a bunch of bees off and put them into the next box. And they keep doing that over and over and over again. Then ultimately you end up with the, these bees that will go through the queen excluder and end up down the bottom. Well, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes maybe the queen excluder isn't sealed properly. Maybe it's not the right size. Maybe there's a little tiny piece that's broken. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of little reasons why it might not happen. Or some of these people may pull a frame out, find the queen, and say, okay, I've got the queen for this colony, so we don't even need to use this shaker box. We've got all, you know, everything in here is free game. Well, a couple problems. One, I've heard some varying numbers over the years, but I've heard that it's not uncommon for, I think it's like 10 or 15% of all colonies to actually have two queens at one time, where the daughter queen is still, I'm sorry, where the, the mother queen is still there and hasn't made her flight, you know, her swarming kind of flight, and the daughter queen has already emerged. So I've heard about that. I haven't seen it myself. But thinking about that scenario, right, they go in, they do an inspection, they find a queen, they isolate her, and then they just throw all the other bees into the package. I believe what happened in Cheyenne's case is that she had a, a queen bee inside the package with the rest of the workers and a couple of the drones that were probably there. And then there was the queen that was in the cage. So she put the queen cage in, the workers released her. By the time she came out, they had a little bit of a fight. Hopefully, you know, at least one of them survived healthy and everything is fine and she'll be able to kind of carry on and, and things will be okay. But that's not the most uncommon thing with uh, package bees. Uh, I've seen it both ways before. I've seen a situation where I've ha- I actually had a queen cell one time show up with a queen in the cage dead. And I was all upset. I was like, oh, my God, the queen the queen died. This is one of my earlier seasons, and I called the, the people I got it from, and they're like, look around and make sure, be, just, just be sure that, that the other, uh, that there wasn't another queen in the package that may have actually uh, stung the queen through the queen cage. And I thought, there's no way that happened. Well, that queen was dead, and sure enough, there was another queen in the package. And, you know, two weeks later, you know, I had brood. I had, you know, young larvae and, and some capped brood. So it definitely is a possibility. So hopefully that works for you, Cheyenne. If it doesn't, hit me up, and we'll figure something else out and, and dig around a little, a little more. All right, so now we're getting into the real meat and potatoes here, what we want to talk about today, and this is around the expectations for the colony in year one. So we'll start kind of with the the package bees. Remember, if you look at, let's just say, for example, 
you're getting your package bees on the 1st of May. You've got no drawn comb. Maybe you're lucky. Maybe somebody gave you a frame of drawn comb. In this case, it doesn't really matter. You've got a completely blank slate to start from. And that queen starts laying eggs right away, right? You've got a mated queen. She's ready to go. She's laying eggs within a few days. So by the end of May, like May 25th or so, is when you start to get your first bees. So that, for me, at least where I live, by the time I get to like the middle of June, my nectar flow is over. So that does not offer a whole lot of time for a new queen, new colony to, to get everything done in time. So on the flip side of that, you think, well, maybe I want to get them earlier. Maybe if I can get them the first week of April, I've got all this extra time. Now you're running the risk of not having enough bees to keep them warm at night during the cooler nights. And I've had several nights down in the high 30s and 40s in April before, and I've lost colonies that way. So that's another kind of a double-edged sword with, with why package bees can be so challenging. But you're going to be at a disadvantage no matter what with the package bees. You have to be aggressive with, you know, uh, pollen substitutes and, and you maybe, maybe using some pollen patties and some sugar syrup and different things to let them really ramp up. I mean, again, everything is really going to be regionally specific. But for me, I, I can overwinter. Uh, I have overwintered single five-frame nukes before. I do much better if I do like a double stack four frames. So it's four over four for a total of eight frames or a single deep with 10 frames. I've done double deeps with 10 frames each. And those have all overwintered pretty well. As long as they've got, for me, it ends up being about, you know, 40 to 50 pounds of honey stored. They're usually okay. They can definitely get to buy with with less. I think this past winter was more mild. And uh, I had, you know, several colonies that had resources left going into the spring. I've had some winters uh, where it was, we had one a few years ago where I think the temperature stayed Fahrenheit. It was like between 10 and 20 for three weeks. There's a river like behind my house and it was frozen. It's a brackish river and it was frozen. It's like a thousand feet across and it was frozen from one side to the other. So that was uh, definitely a cool winter. I I overwintered hives. I was surprised. I was shocked that they made it, but they did. So your package bees are really going to require you to be engaged with them. Now, that is going to be a lot depending on where you are because you might have just this explosive growth, a longer season of a good nectar flow, and they'll be completely fine. But you just you really need to be paying attention and watching them to make sure that you're getting a good brood pattern. The queen is still laying. And if you see a reduction, you see the queen re, uh, reducing how many eggs that she's laying or the, the colony is not you know, raising as many workers as they were previously. That's when you want to start maybe looking at some supplemental feeding and things to, to make sure they have a chance to ramp up. They are really, really good at knowing what's best for them in that moment, but they're not always able to know what's best for them long term. What I mean specifically is if you had that colony in the example I just made where they stopped laying a lot of eggs or they stopped producing a lot of workers in that mid-June, mid-late June time frame because there was a dearth and we did nothing for them, no supplements, no anything. It's like a month and a half or two months before the fall flow starts to kick in in mid to late August. That's not enough time. That's not enough time for them to even live through the summer. They need several frames of honey just to get through the summer. I've had colonies that have been started in the spring and have been massively productive and they've used 90% of their resources just to stay alive over the summertime. So to answer the big question in that one is, how much honey do you get? If you have a package bee this year, and you're anywhere within my region here in the Mid-Atlantic, 
you're not going to get any honey. If you take honey, the chances of your colony making it through the winter are going to be significantly reduced unless you are heavily, heavily feeding them in the fall. They may not even make it through the summer. They may not even make it to August or September because they might run out of resources. So be very, very mindful. In the first year, I would definitely recommend not taking anything from them. Let them grow. Let them ramp up. Now, your nukes are a little bit different. If you get your nucleus colony on the 1st of May, in the exact same scenario we just discussed, you have brood that's going to be emerging uh, new workers within days, right? You're, you you should have three frames that are, I would say, at least two of them should be full of capped brood. One might be a pollen and kind of nectar frame, and then you know, you'd have a frame of honey, maybe two frames of honey. So you should have good resources there for that colony to explode. And, I mean, you should be putting them into either adding another nuke on top or putting them right into an eight or a ten frame setup from, from the get-go and within two weeks tops, you're putting a honey super on. I mean, they should be cranking away. But I still would recommend that first season, let them build up. Let them build their space. Let them draw the comb. Let them put things the way they want them to be. And, and, and again, ask questions, right? Talk to, I mean, if you don't have anybody else to talk to, shoot me an email. But, you know, talk to the local people that are near you. And if you don't know of anybody, you know, like I said, hit me up and we can try and track someone down in your area or your region who might be able to lend you a hand. But, you know, just try to find out, hey, how much, how much, you know, honey should the bees in this area have to overwinter? So the expectations around honey production are going to be pretty low. I would definitely not be taking them unless you have a, a situation where you have a nectar flow from maybe like uh, May through August, September. If you have a good long nectar flow and you have a massive population of bees and they're just exploding and things are going great. You know, again, talk to somebody who's local, see what they say. You're never going to go wrong letting them hold on to what they've got until next year. So let's just say you had two deeps and two mediums and everything was completely packed and you went and did an inspection on them in the, in the spring. And generally you'd probably reduce that down a little bit, but let's say you didn't, let's say you kept it just like that and it's springtime and you open the colony up and you find an entire medium that hasn't even been touched full of honey and you're going through and they only used half of it right that's that's good information for you to work from for next year but just you know kind of get an indicator and keep track of things too right keep a log book and say okay you know th this winter you know our average temperature was you know so many degrees or just do some basic research on online through you know historical weather data to find out you know what's the average temperature this year, last year, previous. So you can kind of keep track of things. Uh, most commercial apiaries will weigh their colonies. So they know based on their area, if my colony is less than 50 pounds, then let's say, for example, if they if their target was 50 pounds per colony and that colony is 42 pounds, they know, okay, I've got to feed this colony, you know, two gallons of sugar syrup within the next week or whatever those numbers come out to be. There's nothing that says you as a you know hobbyist couldn't do the same thing. So they're always better to have more than to have less because if they have less, they die. And when you're early on and you're figuring things out like you are in your first year here, your number one objective is just, can I get them to make it through the summer, right? It's challenging here where I am. I'm just super excited to get all of mine out of the suburban area and down into the rural environments where they'll have access to a lot of agriculture and watermelon and cotton and all the other things that they can get into. But the biggest challenge right now, get them through the summer. And then it's, okay, get them through the winter. And then it's like, okay, now it's springtime, and now you'll have some more information based on what happened over the uh, the previous fall and winter. 
So I know that's not a lot of specific detail, but again, a lot of that's going to be very regionally focused on where you are and, or I should say regionally dependent on where you are. So that's probably going to wrap up most everything that I wanted to cover today. A couple things I got coming up here in the, I think I've got enough information now for about two or three upcoming episodes, but we got some hectic weeks ahead of us here with a lot going on. I mean, I know like the next couple of weeks I'm building high bodies and painting and I'll talk about pretty soon making some open feeders. So if you do have a lot of colonies and you don't want to individually feed them all, we'll talk about how you make a feeder that you can put kind of out in the field or somewhere nearby. We'll talk about the same thing for pollen feeders. I made a couple, I'll I'll put some links to uh, some YouTube videos, but they're basically pieces of PVC with some end caps and they have little openings on them and you fill them with uh, synthetic pollen. The bees can fly in and get their pollen and kind of head back. We'll talk a little bit about those, how you make them, where you put them, all of that. We're, we're gonna, at some point, we're going to get into, I'm going to try and do this more like in the August time frame so we can help out our, our brothers and sisters that are more further up north. So whether you're up in Alaska or Canada or even northern U.S., right, as you start getting into, I mean, you know, August, September, I think there's a lot of places that are probably still going to see some snow in, in mid to late September. So I want to get this information out early, talking about how we're going to winterize the hives and the things that we need to do to prep for that. But we'll talk about, you know, insulated top covers and pollen patties, and there's a discussion around crystallized sugar. we got we got to talk about that. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine. But um, supplements and just all the different things you need to start getting ready for winter. We will talk at some point about honey extraction, but I think I'm going to just probably most likely just kick that to next year because I just don't really feel like it's going to be a topic that needs to be covered this year. So we'll do that next year. Okay, but that should pretty much wrap everything up for the day. So if I can quote my good friend there, Bob Barker, help control the pet population, have your pet spayed or neutered. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.